appreciate the opportunity to be with you this morning. I want to mention a little bit about my connection with uh, Philip over the years. I was the <clears throat> founding pastor of Shannon Forest Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina back in 1962. Yes, 1962. And we had Shannon Forest Christian School. And when uh, Render and his family moved from the islands, they came and pastored the church that we started, Simpsonville Presbyterian Church. And so uh, <clears throat> in our Christian school, guess who came to our Christian school? bunch of those Keynes kids. So the reason Philip knows so much is because I taught him in chapel <clears throat> for several years. And uh, so I'm glad that he's... Uh... And then the other thing was, when I did an interim pastor here, uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure how it worked, but the church allowed me, session allowed me to be chairman of the uh, pulpit committee. <clears throat> Not to tell him what to do, but to kind of facilitate things. And as a result, Philip was called as pastor of this church. So, so you see, I'm connected, whether you think so or not. Uh, a quick word of testimony. I was born and reared in Iowa uh, 81 years ago tomorrow. And uh, spent my first seven grades in a one-room country schoolhouse with one teacher, eight grades, 30 students. That's why I didn't learn much. Converted to Christ when I was 15 years of age. Went on to Iowa State University, majored in forestry, and got a commission in the Army. And while in the Army, I came into the ministry of a Bible Presbyterian chaplain who believed the Bible, preached it, and lived it, which prompted me to commit my life to the Lord for the ministry. He also told me about a young lady who would become my future wife, Julie Bells. We were both from Iowa. And then I graduated from Covenant Seminary in 1960 and went to Greenville, South Carolina. And for the last 55 years, I've been in the ministry of planning new churches, Christian schools, and then in retirement to do um, church planning in Birmingham, England, and then an interim pastor here in First Press at Fort O. And then uh, recently an interim pastor in Lundstall, Germany, uh, for a PCA church that was ministering to... Um, uh, military families. So this morning, I appreciate <clears throat> the opportunity, and especially great uh, for Philip uh, to be there with his parents, uh, because uh, uh, Render uh, started that church and pastored it for 27 years, so that's a milestone. Uh, very good. Uh, this morning, I want to uh, uh, speak on the topic of how to overcome temptation. Now, if you picked up from the song, I appreciate, uh, Austin, you all singing that song to uh, get acquainted a little bit and something like that. Now, yield not to temptation. You know, that involves a lot of things. Temptation to what? Well, there are all kinds of temptations uh, that are going in the world and something like that. But this has to do with temptations to sin against God, your Heavenly Father, if you're converted, and if you're not converted, you're in really bad shape. And if you're not converted, then you are still dead in your trespasses and sins, and you need to repent of your sin and to trust Christ as your Savior and then seek by His grace to live for Him 
and then to avoid temptation by his grace because when we yield to temptation, it's yielding to sin and sin breaks fellowship. Now, the problem that a lot of times we face as Christians is we get going through somewhat of a routine in our Christian lives and we never do any real bad things and we never do any real spiritual things. So we say, uh, well, confess sin. I don't really sin much at least. Uh, and so we don't often realize that we're not walking with the Lord like we should walk with Him because we're living down here in this plane and, in a sense, nothing moves us, you know. And so I have chosen three passages of Scripture, so I, I realize that I haven't had a chance to preach here for a long time, so I have three sermons this morning. So uh, <clears throat> uh, hit the snooze button. And if you do, I'll throw a book at you to wake you up and so on. But if you will take out the bulletin insert uh, with the scripture lesson on one side and my sermon outline on the other side. Now, does everyone have this piece of paper? Even all you kids that know to read. Everybody have a piece of paper? Thank you, ushers, for doing a good job and so on. Now, I'm not sure how much aware of it, but... The sin, the temptation that Eve went through to sin, and then the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, and first John, the temptation that Christians go through today, pretty much were under three categories. Three categories. Pretty much the same. And what you will find as we read these, When Satan, the serpent, put Eve to the test, when she saw that the fruit was good for food to make her feel good, and when she saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes, and if she knew that she would eat that, she would become wise, she said, I'll take it. Now, the sad thing was she gave it to Adam and he deliberately sinned. That's why he's charged in the scripture as the sinner to start with. Eve was deceived, but Adam, bluntly, blameworthy, ate of the fruit forbidden. Now, when you come to Jesus, you notice he was hungry for 40 days and... Um, Nothing to eat. So the devil says, just use your power to turn these stones into bread. He said, feed your stomach, Jesus, like Eva, you know. And uh, that didn't work. By the way, keep in mind here, because the theme of this message is how to overcome temptation. And the main way to overcome temptation is, first of all, to be born again, to have the Holy Spirit within you. And then to have the Word of God as your rule of authority, because if you don't know what the Scripture says, you don't know what's sin and what's not. So it's important to have faithful, regular teaching of the Scripture, and you know what the Scripture says. 
And every time Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus said, it's written. That's what the Bible says. And then the next thing, Jesus was taken up onto a high pinnacle of the temple and said, cast yourself down. Just think what applause will be at the bottom when the angels just grab you up just before you hit and crash your head. Just think how much fame that will be for you. And another place, he said, I'll show you the kingdoms of the world. If you just fall down and worship me, you can have it all. See, the same three years. And then when you get to First John, we're going to read shortly. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, or what we boast about. So keep that in mind. As um, I want you to, I want you to read the scripture with me this morning. I know it's difficult for a large group to stay on the same, but we can we can manage, can't you? Let's try. It. So first of all, the temptation is according to Genesis chapter three, verse one through eight. Together, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman. Did God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat free from the fruit trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then God deals with them, and finally God says, I'm going to bring about salvation for you anyway, which you have next. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. That's your first picture of an innocent animal being slain and its blood being shed so that the guilty party can be forgiven because then Jesus becomes the real Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Now, Matthew chapter 4, this is the temptation of Jesus. Now, you know, with the temptation of Eve, what was, her, what was the result? She flunked the test. And as a result, we're in real trouble. Unless we come to the one who didn't flunk the test. Together. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, 
But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now, a reminder here, the good news is, Jesus would put the same test. Remember, Eve was in the perfect of conditions, circumstances, and all the rest of it. And she ate and fell. Jesus was in the worst of circumstances. And he was put to the test by the devil in his person. And Jesus passed the test. Declaring himself to be truly the Son of God. And then to become the perfect sinless sacrifice to go to the cross and suffer the punishment of God's wrath upon sin as though Jesus were the worst of sinners. So that you and I who are born with our sinful nature because of Adam and Eve, we can repent of our sin and trust Christ as our Savior. And as a result, Jesus passed the test for our benefit. Now, once we become Christians, our sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. But notice it doesn't say so much that our sinful nature is dead. If your sinful nature was truly dead, you wouldn't have any problem with any kind of temptations and so on. Because, say, I know what's right. I always do what's right. I always think what's right. I always say what's right. But you see, even after we're converted, their sinful nature is crucified. And we still want to, as it were, try to get down off the cross, you know. No, I want to do this. No, I want to do that. And yet, God says, He puts His Holy Spirit within us. Once we, He regenerates us with His Spirit. And then we, His Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he gives us the word of God so that when things we are confronted with, we can say, that's sin. I will not touch that. This is the way I want to go. And so the same three ways. Now read with me, please, from Second, First John chapter 2. And then notice some other scriptures at the bottom there that will help us to know how we can help to overcome sin together. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, 
and the boasting of what he has and does come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So that's the confrontation of sin that comes before us day in and day out. And then Psalm 119, verse 9, together. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Romans 8.13. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, if you flip the page over. By the way, quite often when I preach and bring a message, I usually have my sermon outline written out in detail because in our modern day, we're not used to listening. We're used to... uh, Yeah, that's written. Uh, We're used to looking at everything by the eye gate and not the ear gate. I've probably mentioned here before that uh, psychologists say that if you listen carefully to somebody speaking and if you retain 10% of what they say, you're doing a marvelous work. Now, think about most of us you know, here's this guest preacher, and he said, what do you think you have to say, you know? You don't even necessarily want to listen carefully, so anyhow, I got it written down on paper. So that, perhaps, maybe your hearts and minds will be wetted with this and say, you know, I got to dig into this more. And that you will use your eye gate to gaze at the scriptures to find out what is happening. Now, before we look at the outline, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to the book of Galatians. Now, this is very important here because Galatians chapter 5, what I want us to see here is some words describe sins of our thoughts, words, and deeds, and then words that describe Christ-like living. You see, we get caught both ways. We can sin by doing what God tells us not to do as much as we sin by not doing what God tells us to do. Now, keep that in mind. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Chapter 5, verse 19. Now, notice... This was what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians at Galatia. The acts of the sinful nature, that's what our natural inclination is. The acts of the sinful nature are these. Sexual immorality. How many of us are guilty of that day in and day out? You see, I've never been in an adulterous relationship But God says, if you look at the opposite sex with lust in your heart, you've already guilty of that sin. 
That's the best time to deal with it. Not until after you've had the act and so on like that. Impurity. What do you use your iPhones for? What do you use your videos for? What do you use your television for? You know, it's, the world is saturating the airwaves, etc., and the Internet and so on like that with sexual impurity. How often are we guilty of that even this morning? The next word is debauchery. Uh, let's just skip that word. Verse 20, are you guilty of the sin of idolatry? And they say, no. Let me ask you this question. Which is more important in your life, you or God? Which is most important in your life, your work or your relationship with the Lord? Which is more important, how people treat you or how you treat others? See, idolatry is a, it's, Matter of fact, one of the places in the Bible talks about covetousness is idolatry because you put a thing or a substance or a place in the place of God. So idolatry is anything that takes first place in your life. Look at the next word. Witchcraft. Now, you don't do that. You just cross your finger and say, hope, cross the finger and hope. No. You get out the rabbit. No. You get out the, don't let a black cat. No. Uh, you well, I don't know what kind of witchcraft stuff. We would probably use the word superstition. What superstitions do you have that you sin? You, it's commonplace to you. You don't even realize it's sin. The next word, hatred. Hatred? You know what Jesus said about the sin of Hatred. Hatred is the same as murder in the eyes of God. Hatred says, I'd kill you if I could get away with it. And a lot of things about hatred when you say to somebody, why don't you take a long walk on a short pier? Why don't you get out of my life? Or you kids to your parents, sometimes you sass them back because you don't like what they said. I can still remember when I was in about eighth grade. We'd moved off the farm, and my mother's father lived with us. And my dad would kind of take him to task, which was not good. And I remember I spoke up and said something to my dad in a sassy kind of way. Before I knew it, he was up across the table and wham! Guess what? I never sassed him again. Now, I did in my heart. I had to get converted. So I wouldn't want to do that. Even when I wanted to do it as converted, I had to say, Holy Spirit of God, help me. The next word, Discord. Is your goal in life to get along with one another or you say, I have to have my way? Now, see, I'm, I'm trying to go over all these things because we say, I'm never tempted. I'm never tempted to sin. 
You know why? Because a lot of times we're just, we're living on this plane and just don't think about it. Look at the next word. Jealousy. What? Is that a sin, a temptation? Oh, you young, beautiful ladies here. How do you feel when there's another new girl that comes on the block and she's prettier than you are? Or you see somebody that's got more money and more wealth and they display it more so than you do. Or you find somebody in your classroom that's smarter or more intelligent and you say, Yeah, we'll try to take that person down a notch or two. Jealousy? That temptation is there all the time. What's the next word? Fits of rage. Now, you wouldn't do that. Only two-year-olds do that. Except if a two-year-old hasn't been conquered, then when he gets to be eight years old, and when he gets to be a teenager, he'll really have fits of rage. Teenagers, let me say something to you. If you haven't before, you need Christ as your Savior. So that you can have a decent life with your parents, so that you can have a decent life with the people in church, you can have a decent life at school, you can have a decent life in the place of work, because the Lord will give you power to overcome all that wicked, sinful stuff in you. What's the next word? Selfish ambition. What's the goal of all Americans? What's, what's the goal in, in the basketball world? I'm sorry to say I'm a Kentucky fan and we got clobbered by Wisconsin. Can you believe it? What is the goal in, in sports? Number one. Number one. That's all right in sports. But if you do that in your personal life, if you do that in your home, it's a temptation to sin. What's the next one? Dissensions. Always wearing a chip on your shoulder. Some of you know what that means. Dissension is, you know, that person's hard to get along with. That person just doesn't listen. That person just doesn't respect me, you know. The next word. Factions. I'll go on. Verse 21. Envy. Kind of like jealousy. Drunkenness. No, you don't. I don't see any drunks here this morning. Uh, but, you know, drunkenness means you lose control. You can lose control in various kinds of ways. Drunkenness, orgies, uh, uh, and the like. Now, notice this next phrase. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if those sins are your common everyday practice, no matter how many professions of faith you might have made, if those characterize your daily life, you're not on your way to heaven, but you're on your way to hell. And what happens is when you and I are guilty of these things, we say, Lord, I have sinned against you. Not just much to other, other people, which our sins are mostly to other people, but really our sins against other people are sins against the Holy God. Remember when David did that horrible sin, he says, Against you, you only have I sinned. 
He'd committed, he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had Uriah killed. He messed, totally messed up. And he finally came to his, well, and Nathan, the prophet, confronted him. He says, oh! Let me ask you something. When was the last time you or I were ever really I've sinned? God, forgive me. When was the last time? Or has it ever been? Uh, I have a suggestion for the elders and the pastor. Please excuse me for saying this, but I won't. You don't have to invite me back again. I think you need to have a time in your bulletin for the confession and repentance of sin. The scripture spelled out there for you. And then after confession and repentance, to have some verses of assurance, God does forgive those who confess their sin and cleanses them. And along with that assurance, prayer to help to overcome so that you don't have a cycle of confess, assurance, Confess, assurance. Confess and repent. Assurance of forgiveness and prayer. God, help me not to do that again. Which you will. Now, those are just the sins that we're not, those are the things I think we're not supposed to do. Now look at the next list. If you think that you're in good shape, let me read to you what it says in verse 22. Man. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Genuine love, not hypocritical love, not lust. Who has the ability to love God or to love your neighbor? None of us has. That's why it takes the Holy Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. How many of us live on happenings, depending on the happenings, rather than living on Joy. You know, the Apostle Paul was in prison. He wrote to the Philippians. And his whole theme was the Philippians were going through all kinds of trouble. And he says, rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord. So you see, joy, you can have joy even if all hell breaks loose. The result of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. Look at the next one. Peace. Well, I'm peaceful when things are going great. But about when a bad grade comes at school, which you deserve, or even if you didn't deserve it, or a sickness comes along, so, oh. My niece, freshman, had come to college. Just a few months ago, I discovered with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the family is singing, I have peace like a river. Or the hymn. It is well with my soul because of your relationship with the Lord. 
Next word. Patience. Who's got that? Most of us don't have it. If you don't have patience, it's sin. It's sin against God. It's sin against others. You realize there's a need for confession and repentance and yield not to temptation? Goodness. You mean I'm supposed to be good to other people? You don't know who I'm dealing with. God knows who you're dealing with. Goodness. And look at the next word. Faithfulness. Well, I'll do it if I feel like it. I'll be there for church if nothing else comes up. I'll be there to witness to people if, if I don't get too embarrassed. I'll pray regularly if I don't have anything else to do. I'll read my scriptures if, if I feel like it. By the way, sometimes when you have prayer meetings, say, now, those of you, if you feel like it, lead us in prayer. Now, isn't that sweet? If you feel like it, lead us in prayer. No, no, no. Pray whether you feel like it or not. Faithfulness. Gentleness. I can just look at some of you tough guys out there and say, I am gentle. I make them toe the line. They know who I am. The strongest of all, the Lord Jesus, was gentle. If you have strength, you don't have to bully yourself around. Gentleness. And then the word of self-control. That's kind of interesting. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That sounds like it may should be more spirit control. Well, the Spirit is the one who helps you to have self-control. So that you don't always drift off into those paths of sin. And so that you will have the ability to show genuine love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Now I'm going to quit. Because it's 12 o'clock. And I know you, I saw a couple of you looking at your watch. I don't blame you. But seriously, perhaps your appetite has been whetted to see how the Lord Jesus... Went through it all. And not as God did he say no, but as a human being he said no. Now, you and I, when we start on this world, we start off in this world in a bad way. We start off with a sinful nature. Your parents did a bad thing for you kids when you were born. Of course, their parents did a bad thing for them, and their parents did a bad thing for them, and Adam and Eve did a bad thing for all of us. So you see, we start off with a sinful nature. 
How are you going to work it out? First of all, you have to recognize that sinful nature between you and God is a broken fellowship. And it will prevent you from having a meaningful life. And it will prevent you from having an eternal life in heaven with Christ. So you need to be born again. You need to say, Spirit of God, show me my sin and cause me to embrace the message of Christ and enable me to be born again. And then you use the means of grace, Scripture, prayer, Christian fellowship, the uh, sacraments, etc. So that you can say more and more, no to that which is wrong and yes to that which is right. And the more you're able to do that by the grace of God, you'll find out that the Christian living is the most wonderful thing. See, what happens is we're so complacent in other things. You know, the old dull routine, get up in the morning, go to work, go to school, go to bed. No, 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 no. And it's all a dull, boring routine. But for the Christian, it's every day. He's, Lord, what do you have for me today? I want to have fellowship with you through your word and prayer. I want to ask you to help me to say no to those sinful things. And I want you to help me say yes to the work of the Holy Spirit. That means truly being born again, truly trusting Christ, and sincerely praying and sincerely reading his word. If you've never here this morning, if you never have been born again, my prayer is that you will say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and forgive me and save me. Don't be a vaccinated Christian. A vaccinated Christian, one who claims to be a Christian, they have just enough Christianity to keep them from living a wicked life, or they have enough Christianity to keep them from being committed to Christ. And that's a dangerous thing. So make sure you're not just a vaccinated, quote, Christian, but that you're a born-again Christian, see? That's the first prayer request. And then the second one is, if you're a Christian, I want to ask you to commit yourself to faithful reading of the Scripture, not just to say, I've read it. Faithful reading of the Scripture, faithful prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to help you to yield not to temptation to sin or failing to have love, joy, peace, etc. Will you do that as we close in prayer? Let us bow together in the Lord's presence. Lord in heaven, thank you for this portion of your word. How Adam and Eve, particularly Eve, flunked the test and Adam just blew it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came into the world, took to yourself a human nature in your divine nature, with your divine nature. And you went through the test even far more severe than Eve or any of us. And you passed the test to prove who you are so that you could be the sinless, perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sin. And Lord, even though we were born with a sinful nature, we thank you that there's a way out. And that's the way out through confession, repentance, trusting Christ as Savior. Grant that to anyone here this morning who has never yet been saved. 
And then, Lord, help us, those of us who are Christians, to say, Lord, I'm going to commit myself afresh to reading your word so that I know what's right and wrong. Commit yourself to prayer so that I will ask you for my, your help and not my own strength. And I will look to other Christians to be of encouragement to me as well as one to point out my sins. Will you make that kind of commitment this morning? For His glory, your good, and the good of others. Will you make that commitment? Lord, thank you that your Holy Spirit works when and where he pleases. To convert people, even though they may not want to be converted. To take us as Christians and point to us our sin, even though we don't want to have it pointed out. And you, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you assure us that because of what Christ did on the cross, we are genuinely forgiven. And can be empowered by you to overcome temptation to sin and enabled to produce the fruit of the Spirit. For those who made these commitments, Lord, give them grace now to fulfill that for your glory, for their good and the good of others. Hear our prayers. We ask them in the name of Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.